He's glad that it's his righteousness, his joy, his peace, his everything. And it's good to see Kathy, hallelujah. She's back from her surgery as well. Praise the Lord. And she will be singing on Easter Sunday. She, you may be on a stool. Or are you going to stand? She's going to stand. <laughs> so hallelujah, you will hear as well. Ushers, you may come. And usherettes, is that what you're called? That is so sexist. So gender-ridden. <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Frank, would you ask a blessing on the offering? Amen. God bless you as you give. And um, there, uh, the nursery is open for anyone that, any of your little ones that needs to go there, you can take them. Uh, I believe we have workers there here this morning, so it's up to you. Um, <clears throat> also, uh, just a, a mention as well, uh, poor Lisa was hit with that sinus thing that's going around, so she was knocked out for the whole weekend. So uh, the bulletin that you have is just some information uh, and also, I apologize, uh, we also, I didn't say it, see, you always miss something, but we had Paul on the base this Sunday, right? So, now, he's not here, so he's walking back there, so he actually can run the sound system through his cell phone now. They figure these kind of things out, these people. And so he was playing bass and running sound a little bit, too. With, with Tommy's assistance. I don't know, it's just amazing. I, I really struggle. I'm, I am so happy that I was able to pick up my notebook and sermon on the floor without passing out, <laughs> let alone run a sound system and play bass at the same time. So I don't, I don't understand these things, but uh, amen. And also you see in your notes, uh, Abby and uh, Pastor Yuri were united in holy matrimony. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> that helps to facilitate. There was, there was two ways that she could have done this. Uh, Yuri's father is a truck driver. Uh, he could have picked her up at the border in Mexico and just bought her a cross. <laughs> and it would have all been done. But they want to do it the legal way. So, so this is uh, facilitating that. But there will be a celebration of some kind. We're planning that. You all will be able to bless them and uh, uh, we will have a wonderful time together here in the future, uh, I'm sure, in the not-too-distant future. So, hallelujah. And the rest of those, so that bulletin that you have, that is just my quick ramblings, just to give some updates for the weeks ahead as much as possible. The regular bulletin should be back uh, next Sunday, but pray for Lisa as she is getting over this uh, sinus infection and all that ugly stuff that we go through. Amen. Uh, I believe that is probably it. Take your Bibles. We are going to... <clears throat> deviate for this week. Uh, we're going to go to the book of Acts. And uh, let me give a disclaimer here as you do this. We're going to go to Acts, the eighth chapter officially. We will be in the first several verses of Acts, the eighth chapter. And uh, I um, want to give a disclaimer when I do this. I, I almost 
we're going to talk about revival this morning because it's a concept that has been moving through the church and I've, I've been watching it myself and uh, so I, I wanted to just share a bit about it myself. I, I almost never preach from current events, uh, almost never. Obviously current events find their way in but I don't, I don't do that and, and I almost never preach about this church. I never preach about anything that's happening here because I believe that 99% of the time I try to stay with the word and that's where our source is from. So whatever might be happening here, I know a lot of pastors like to preach of what's happening in the church and make it local, but I usually don't do that. So I'm going to deviate a bit today. And to be honest with you, I told my wife, I said, I'm actually not even sure what I'm trying to say. Did you, did you ever have that feeling that you're talking and you're wondering where, why the words are coming out and what the words even mean? <laughs> did I hear my mother say all day? <laughs> all the time? Yeah. I, so I, I want to just talk about some thoughts about uh, revival. Um, and I want to go into scripture to do it uh, as best we can, but give a little history and background and all that. Because a lot of us have been through series of revivals, I, although I like, uh, some of us, let me see, well, well, you can go way back. I don't know if any, I don't know if Aunt Pauline or my mother were back in the days of E.W. Kenyon and all those, but you were definitely back in, in the, uh, what's the earliest uh, revivals that you experienced with, back in the 40s and 50s? Azusa Street, 1906, right? No, don't be mean. But they have seen a lot of the great revivals that have occurred down through, through uh, our, our time. And, um, and those of us have seen many of the revivals. And we've seen Catherine Coleman. We've seen uh, the charismatic renewal. We've seen, some of us have seen the Jesus people uh, movements and things like that. I remember that as, as a child. So uh, we've been through a lot of these things. Uh, throughout history, there have been many examples of revival. Um, we call it revival, but it's actually a correct and an incorrect term at the same time because many times God is reviving and restoring certain things that we've lost in, in, through disuse. Martin Luther would have been an example of that. Uh, there was corruption in the church in the 14 and 1500s, and so God spurred him with that simple verse from Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. And, it, and it, he was used to then spur a revival in the Catholic Church uh, that, of course, is going to this day through Protestantism and all the rest. So it was restoring some corruption, some lack of use, some things like that. But other times, revival is doing something new to bring his body to the next level. And so, really, we see that that has happened in many of our lives, and, and to be honest with you, I'm not even really sure what is happening right now, but I know that something is happening. Uh, you've heard the, the scripture, and I love it so much, that there's a wind rustling in the mulberry bushes. And, and that's really all we sort of know right now. And I think as I go through this mess of thoughts <laughs> that you're going to hear... Uh, you're going to see a bit of my frustration and how to define it. I was talking with Pastor Grandi about this the other day, and he said, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, when, you were born again in 1982? 81. He says, I think I've been in revival since 1981. Isn't that true? 
You, you can be in revival every day of your life. And that's how we want to sort of conclude this thinking. But every day we can do it. There are, there are certain revivals that are not necessarily revivals as we know it. The day of Pentecost was a revival, but it was actually a prophesied event in the church. It was the birth. It was the descent of the Holy Spirit. It was the birth of the church. So in that regard, we will never have another Pentecost. There was only one. That's when the Holy Spirit came. Everything has been flowing from that time and his gifting in us. That was prophesied by Joel and others in, in the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament or the New Testament never prophesied about a revival in 1940 or 2010 or something like that. We've been living in revival. So we're going to take uh, our points from a, a particular revival in the New Testament, the, act, the, the things that, events that surrounded it. And we're going to talk about Philip, Samaria, and the Ethiopian eunuch. So we're going to go, let's go right to the eighth chapter of Acts. And first, let's get somewhat of a definition, if you will, of revival. Uh, I believe that we can use two words for revival. I believe we can use the word renewal and advancement. Renewal and advancement. So revival is not an event per se. We don't say, uh, next Sunday night at 6 p.m., a revival service. Well, I've never done that in my ministry because every moment of our lives should be a revival service, right? We don't wait for it to come. We don't have to have an evangelist come in and bring a revival service. It is happening all the time. So it's renewal and advancement. And to be honest with you, in my own life, I never know what God is doing. Does anybody know what God's doing in your life? I, I don't know. Sometimes he's renewing things. Sometimes he's advancing things in me. Sometimes he's taking me from one level to the next. Other times it feels like I am stranded in the Sahara Desert and I have no idea what I'm doing. It, it, that's the way our, our walk is. So right now we're going to talk about this concept. If you could, if you could lock it down in your mind to those two words, renewal and advancement. He's either renewing something or he's advancing us to the next level. So I'm going to give a definition of revival that I have used and I, I think is appropriate. Revival is a special movement of his spirit to accomplish his purpose. It's a special movement, something different. It's a special movement of his spirit to accomplish his purpose. It's not to heal us. It's not to help us dance better. It's not to help us shout louder. It's his purpose. It's not even really get us baptized in the spirit or whatever. It's to accomplish his purpose. So revival is a special movement of his spirit to accomplish his purpose. So we're going to look at several points from a revival passage in, in the book of Acts. So let's go to the book of Acts, verse 1 of Acts, the 8th chapter. Now Saul was consenting to his death, Stephen, at that time, a great persecution rose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now remember, Saul was going to become Paul. So Saul, the greatest persecutor of the church, was going to become the greatest blessing of the church. Talk about revival. Wow. 
Therefore, verse 4, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And, I love this little short verse, and there was great joy in that city. Isn't that what God does? He brings joy. There was great joy. The gospel is good news. There was great joy. I was just talking with Kavan before church, and he was talking about his uh, uh, neighbor that he meant. She said, how are you doing? And, and uh, Kavan, what did you say? Can you say it with a loud voice? Of course you can. What? My heart, my feel, but God is the strength of my life and my heart. And, and, and she said, you always make me feel good when I talk to you. Hey, when you say the word, it's either going to convict you and cut you, or it's going to make you feel good. So, but, and we'll actually get back to that in a moment. But Acts 8, then, then, then flip down to verse 26, though. We, we won't read the whole thing. Verse 26, you could read it all the way to verse 40. An angel of the Lord spoke. Now remember, he's in revival. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south to the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, period. Next sentence, three words. This is desert. No lie. This is desert. Uh, so he went, and you know the story. He found an Ethiopian eunuch, one man who was reading the book of Isaiah and couldn't understand it. And he said, what's this mean? Boy, I'd love that when that happens. Unsaved person, what's this mean? So Philip had to explain it, Isaiah to him. The Ethiopian eunuch got saved. And he says, here's some water. Can I be baptized? And so he was baptized in water. And then, verse 39, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went away on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus, I think 26 miles away, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, let's, let's get the whole background of this, because you have to go back even further than this, and I, I won't spend too much time on it, but in Acts the seventh chapter, we see there was revival occurring, and revival brought persecution especially in the early church. Stephen was stoned to death, and, uh, and, and uh, then uh, Paul was, uh, of course, Saul was uh, assenting to that death. Then this persecution, uh, verse 4 of the 8th chapter, caused a scattering of believers. You know what's interesting about that? It's not wrong to flee persecution. And you know, what, you know what's good about that? I'm a coward. Hallelujah. It's not a sin to flee persecution, if you can. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you'll just never get away. But it's not wrong. So the church scattered out of Jerusalem. They begin to flee to all the various parts. So Philip went down to Samaria. The gospel was now, and this is the interesting part of this, and this has bearing on our, on our discussion. The gospel was now going to the Gentiles. This is important. Peter and John had to go down and see, because now the reports are coming back to Jerusalem. Uh, we don't know what's going on down here, but the gospel is going to Romans. Italians are getting saved. <laughs> Europeans are getting saved. 
Something's happening. So Philip, uh, Peter and John say, we got to go down to see this. As they come down, meanwhile, Philip is dismissed, as we read, from the revival by the Holy Spirit and sent down to the road to Damascus. And he ministers there to one person. Then he's swept away by the Spirit to Azotus after the Ethiopian is bowed. How about that? How about that? How about that for revival? The Ethiopian gets saved and baptized. God takes the evangelist away. He's all alone. No follow-up. No new beginner's class. Right? No, here, load this, on your, load this app on your cell phone and we can follow how you're, you're, you're growing in the Lord. Nothing. Boom! Back to Ethiopia. A guy that didn't even understand Isaiah was now going to be in charge of revival in Ethiopia. What? <laughs> My goodness. And if you didn't know, I'll mention a little bit later, Ethiopia was the first country to fully receive the gospel of Jesus Christ in North Africa. Because of one man who knew nothing. <laughs> That's revival. Revival. I said it last week. Revival is messy, folks. Revival does not make sense. We're going to see that in a minute. We're going to see it. So there he is. Now, all of a sudden then, Acts 9, Paul is converted. And remember what happened? He's blinded on the road and he's sent to Ananias. And the Holy Spirit says to Ananias, I'm sending you Saul and you're going to pray for him and heal him. And Ananias is thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. You're sending me the great persecutor of the church. And you ask me to pray. He's the one that just sent my cousins and my aunts and uncles and my father to prison. Do you know what's happening in my church because of him? And you're sending him to me to pray over. And then the Lord gives Ananias the kicker. And he's blind. And Ananias says, I have a bat in my closet. I am going to club him to... No, what does Ananias say? Okay, Lord, whatever you want. And he comes to Ananias. Ananias lays hands on him. He's prayed. The scales fall from his eye, and he sees. Wow, that's revival? I don't know if I like that kind of revival, right? And then, and then right after that, Acts the 10th chapter, Peter is praying. He's, he's gone down to the revival. He's now staying at the tanner's house. He's preached the gospel. He's raised a dead girl. He's living in an unclean tanner's house. A Jew was not supposed to live there. He's living there for a few days. And all of a sudden, he gets a strange vision three times, right? A sheet coming down out of heaven and with all sorts of unclean food on it. And God says, eat this food. And Peter says, no, I'm a good Jew. I can't do that. Three times. And then all of a sudden, after that third time the sheet comes, there's a knock on the door and it's Roman soldiers and they say, you've got to come to us with us to the house of Cornelius because Cornelius wants to meet with you. And Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion who has slaves, who has concubines and mistresses, who is a filthy, dirty Roman person. And God suddenly begins to speak through Peter and what happens? I love this. Before Peter could even finish his sermon, the Holy Ghost fell 
Oh, Lord, anytime you want to stop my sermon, that's fine. And now Peter and all of them are scratching their heads, saying the gospel has gone now to the Gentiles. That's the the story of that first part of revival. So I'm going to give you four quick points. Four quick points, and then we'll close. Number one, number one, we cannot define revival. It's impossible. You cannot define revival. Now, I just gave you a definition, so you're probably thinking, boy, this guy up there is crazy. (laughs) But you really can't define. You cannot say what it looks like or what it does not look like. Philip was in revival in Samaria where thousands of people were getting saved and healed. Healings, deliverances, multitudes, so much so that the entire city was filled with joy. But then God took him and moved him to a lonely road where one man got saved. Then that man led a whole nation to Christ. So how do you define it? Was Samaria the revival or was the Lonely Road the revival? I don't know. Were thousands getting saved revival or was one man getting saved revival? If you pigeonhole Jesus and say, oh, revival's got to look like this, he's going to laugh and say, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what I'm doing down here. We don't know. Both are great. Samaria was great and the road was great. So we don't know. Revival could be an an event where many, many souls come into the kingdom. Revival could be a revival of holiness in his own body where we all fall deeply under his conviction and purging and we're on our faces. Revival could be a healing revival like Oral Roberts or Catherine Coleman. It could be an evangelism revival like T.L. Osborne or Reinhard Bonnke. I always love hearing Reinhard Bonnke talk about the fact that he says, here I am, and, and literally, through, if you don't know that name, literally through Reinhard Bonnke's ministry, all of Africa has been changed. All of Africa. And he says, I've never understood it. Here is a man with a German accent, and God has called a white German to bring the gospel to Africa. Don't understand it. Don't understand it. You can't define revival. But I, even though I can't define what revival is, and I can't define what God is doing, I do know this thing, that whatever God is doing, it is good. Like a shepherd that knows his flock, he will lead me, he will guide me, he will feed me, he will protect me. Like a righteous king, he's going to build a strong wall to protect me. He's going to create a garrison of armies of angels to encompass around about me. I know that my king is going to open storehouses to provide for me. Like Joseph, he's going to see the coming famine and he's going to prepare for me. I don't know what he's doing and I don't know what he's going to do in the days ahead, but I know it's good because every good and perfect perfect gift comes down from the father of lights in whom there is neither variables nor shadow of turning it's good it's good think about that for a moment we can't you you can't even think i can't even think he doesn't change he's always good he doesn't change he's always good i can't understand that because i'm good on monday and by thursday i'm rotten again friday i'm back saturday i'm gone I don't know, I can't, I don't know. I, sometimes I'm, I'm out, in, I'm so far out in left field waiting for the fly balls. <laughs> and I don't even know that the game ended an hour earlier. Other times I'm sitting in traffic trying to get to the ball game and the, and the balls are falling into left field, left and right. I don't know. All I know is that 
even though I change every day, he doesn't change. Even though I'm faithless, he remains faithful. Even though I fall, I get back up because he's carrying me. All I know is he's good. I can't define where he's good here, where he's good there, but I know he's good. So I can't, I can't define revival. All I know is it's good. Second thing is I can't prepare for revival. There's no way I could prepare for it. I can't get good enough for it. I can't get holy enough for it. I can't pray enough for it. I can't fast enough for it. I can't do anything for it. He's, he, we cannot prepare. You say, well, how, how do you get that? Well, the apostles were moving in a specific direction, were they not? They were following the directions of Jesus. Remember when he sent them out two at a time into the cities? And he sent them out and he said, don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the Jews. Now, when he came and ascended, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Did they get that? No, they didn't get it. Because they were only going to the Jews. <laughs> they didn't follow him. Do you think there are times in our lives when we really don't follow Jesus? <laughs> Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit just <laughs> is there to get us back on track? They, 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 can't, they, they couldn't prepare. They, they were still going to the Jews only. They had no thought whatsoever about bringing the gospel to the Romans, to the Greeks, certainly not to those Athenian worshipers, the filthy temples that were there. They didn't know that. All they knew to do was go to the temple every day and pray, right, like Peter and John, go to the temple every day and pray, and if you see somebody along the way that needs to be healed, you heal them in Jesus' name, but you're going to the temple. Then all of the sudden, it seemed like God changed his plans. The apostles in Jerusalem started hearing about Gentiles being saved. Romans were receiving the Holy Spirit. Demon-possessed Greeks were getting saved. Prostitutes were coming to Christ. The heathen temple worshipers were coming to Jesus. And they had no idea what to do. They had to convene a council in Acts the 15th chapter. That's what we do, by the way. Whenever we don't understand something, we form a committee. We create a council, and we get all the best minds together to talk about what's going on, right? So they formed this council, and they came up with some, really, some silly ideas about things strangled and don't drink blood and all that kind of stuff, you know, right? All of a sudden, things changed. I submit to you that we have no idea what God is doing. We have no idea. No idea. Number three, we can't understand revival. God was doing something so divine that not even the apostles understood it. The gospel was going to the filthy Gentiles. Jonah, remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, here, here, let me give you the story of Jonah in a nutshell, okay? Real quick, I'll give you the entire book in a nutshell. This is Jonah, the gospel going to the Ninevites. This is Jonah. I will not go because I know you will save them and I don't like it. That's the, that's the whole book of Jonah. I hate those Ninevites, but I know that you're a God of mercy, and if I bring the gospel, you're going to save them, and that makes me mad. I don't want your plan to succeed, <laughs> because your plan does not meet with my approval. How many have ever had a plan that didn't meet with God's approval? <laughs> Do you know what a big part of revival is? It's God tearing down structures that inhibit the flow of his spirit. Revivals always wipe the slate clean. They always clear the deck. They always redefine his purpose. So if you're praying for revival, you may be praying for something that will destroy some things in your life that you hold dear. You may be praying for something that's going to change patterns of living that you've become accustomed to. You may, change, you may be praying for a push in a different direction. 
Don't have to say amen here. But that's what revival does. So I can't understand it. I don't know where God's moving me. I don't know where God's moving you. What does Jesus say about those who are born again? They are like the wind that blows through the trees. You don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it's going. Isn't that, isn't that unsettling if you're trying to run a denomination? <laughs> you're trying to collect tithes and offerings from your pastors, and they're blowing around like the wind? <laughs> Very unsettling. So we can't understand revival. Last point, last point. You cannot contain revival. You can't contain it, folks. You can't contain You cannot say, God, move here, but not there. You cannot say, I'm going to define its boundaries. We cannot say who it's going to or not going to. We cannot define the extent of it. It's impossible. We can't do it. It can't happen. Here, how about this? Let's just go down through history very quickly. This is, <clears throat> this is actually... Probably should have saved this for Mission Sunday uh, in April. But, but let's go down through. On the day of Pentecost, there were maybe, what, several hundred people that accepted Christ, 120 in the upper room, probably some family members, things like that. Then Peter preached, and 3,000 got saved. By the end of Acts, there were probably many thousands of Christians that had come to know the Lord because uh, they said in Antioch, these are those that have turned the world upside down. Whole cities were being... So there were probably many thousands so let's say that by the end of the New Testament period there, that early New Testament, there were, there were maybe 50,000 Christians, maybe 100,000 Christians. Hmm. By 1910, it had grown from 12 apostles to 120 to 3,000. By 1910, 600 million believers in the world. 600 million. 1,900 years it took to get to 600 million. That's a little over half a billion. In the last 100 years, up to 2010, from 1910 to 2010, that 600 million has grown to 2.4 billion. That's 33% of the world's population knows Christ as Savior. Does it sound sort of like leaven in bread that's growing? Does it sound like the leaven might be soon really growing? The yeast is really finally rising? Listen, 2.4 billion in Africa in 1910. Africa was 1.4% Christian. Now it is 25% Christian. All of sub-Saharan Africa. During the 21st century, 10.2 million Muslims have come to know Christ. More than all the time in history combined. In the year 2000, there were 600 million believers. 660 million believers in Asia and Africa. Now, 1.1 billion in those regions. Nigeria, Ethiopia, and Egypt now have the largest population of believers in Africa. Nigeria is now 50% Christian. In 1900, South Korea had no Christians. Today, it is over 30% Christian. One out of three call themselves believers. In Vietnam, in the past 10 years, there has been a 600% growth rate in the church. 600% in just 10 years. 
In, in, in China, what about China? At the communist takeover in 1949, there were 800,000 believers. Everybody said when the communists took over and the, and the bamboo curtain fell, that's it, China's done, it's over. All the missionaries were kicked out, it's done, it's complete. 800,000 believers. Today there are over 100 million believers in China. <laughs> Do you know that there are more Christians in China now than were in the communist party at the height of its time, 92 million. How about Russia? Say what you will about Russia. That former communist country is now an orthodox Christian country. I could go on and on. The question is this. Are you waiting for revival? Stop waiting and get in on it. He said, well, wait a minute, that's, but that's all around the world. You know what? They're, they're not, we're just a few short years away from, uh, the, from the church of Jesus Christ no longer being white. It is now going to be people of color. And that is so exciting because guess where all the people of color live? In other places that haven't heard the gospel. So I'm praying and believing that we will be 80% people of color because that means we'll be getting real close to the end because that means that all of Africa and Asia and South America will be filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, how, how, do, how, do we, how do I get involved in it? How do I get involved in it? Well, you get, of course, by prayer. But you know what? Here, I'm going to give you a really nasty word. Ready? I'm going to, really nasty phrase, two words, two words, horrible, I'm sorry, I apologize, I apologize before I even say it, okay, don't throw the tomatoes, email me when you're angry at me, that's fine, two ways to get, two words to get involved in revival around the world, give money, sorry, I'm sorry, we have two, two children, that were just adopted through compassion. I made a decision in my life, personally. Didn't even tell my wife. I made a decision in my life. I have got to give more money to world missions. I have to. I have to start sending money to Africa because I want to see more people get saved in Africa and I don't want to go because I'm tired of sitting on flights for seven hours. So you either go or you give. I know, I know, everybody's mad at me now. You all want me to say, oh, he wants a pay raise. No! You want, you want to see, you want, stop buying all the junk you're buying in America, all the garbage we're buying in America, and start sending seed to the preaching of the gospel in nations that haven't heard it yet. Get it out to them. Get involved. And you watch what's going to happen. If you start sowing financial seed in Africa and South America and China and Asia and Tibet and Nepal and Burma and places like that, you watch what God's going to do. Your pocketbook's going to start exploding. Oh, okay, I'll stop. Stop waiting for revival and get in on it. Now, let me just close with this. Let me just close with this. You say, well, what about us? How, how do I do it? How, what, what are concrete? Number one, always be ready for renewal. We talked about renewal and advancement. Always be ready for renewal. Remember the parable that Jesus gave about the old and new wineskins? Every day I need to wake up and say, Jesus, show me where my wineskin is old and brittle and hard. Help me to soften it up because I want the new wine inside me. I want the new wine that's going to be bubbling and burbling and have stuff shooting out of it. I don't want the old stuff anymore. Fallow ground 
If you want his seed to grow, if you want his seed to grow, it's not going to grow while you're watching CNN. It's not going to grow while you're watching Fox News. It's not going to grow while you're reading a newspaper. Fallow ground is hard ground. Jesus, break up the hard ground of my heart. Break it up. Break it up so that when your seed is planted, I immediately feel the new birth of that living seed inside me. Break it up. Number two, always be ready for his unexpected revival. Always be ready. How about the ten virgins? Five wise, five stupid. They weren't ready. How do I get ready? Watch, therefore, and pray. Do you, know that, do you know that five parables in the New Testament, five of Jesus' parables were about being ready? Do you know that? Five of the parables. Watch. You don't know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what do you say? I say all to watch, Jesus said. Watch, 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 watch. He didn't say get perfect. He didn't say be holy. He didn't say understand all of scripture. He said just watch with your heart. Please watch with your heart. From Isaiah to Malachi, 20 times from Isaiah to Malachi, the prophets say that he's coming suddenly, 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 suddenly. Malachi, the third chapter, suddenly he will come to his temple. Oh, Father God, suddenly come to this temple. <laughs> You're invited. Tear the roof off. Suddenly come whenever you want. Rip us all apart to the ground. It doesn't matter. Suddenly come. Be ready for his unexpected arrival. Remember the story of a group of theologians that were sitting around a table and, the, and the, the moderator said, just a quick question, how many of you think that Jesus could come back in the next 30 minutes? And they all sort of scratched their head, you know, look at the signs of the times. And they all said, well, probably not in the next 30 minutes. And he replied, in an hour that you think not, the Son of Man will come. Be ready. Expect. Expect. And then finally, always be ready for advancement. We talked about renewal and advancement. Always be ready for advancement. We just read it earlier in the book of Philippians, right? Paul said, not as though I have already apprehended, but I'm pushing, I'm pressing toward the prize of the upward call in Christ. No one in this room, from the pulpit to the nursery, no one in this room has arrived. Not one of you have. I can tell. I know you, you haven't arrived. And you know me, I haven't arrived. We have not arrived. Every day, we have to wake up and desire his advance in our lives. More love, more holiness, more preparedness, more desire to serve. More, more of Jesus. So, revival, yes, we may be on the brink of something. I pray we are. I think I know we are. But where is it heading? All I know is it's heading deeper into Jesus. And all I know is that you and me, we want to get there together, don't we? I want to get deeper into Jesus. More into him. Hallelujah. Go ahead.
Hallelujah. Could we say that, that serving him and being ready for revival is just living dangerously? Just living dangerously. Thank you. She's not on staff. She doesn't get paid to say that. Live dangerously, folks. Live broken, live open, because he's ready for revival all the time. Father, we just thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for seeing it demonstrated all throughout the early church. I know, just as Bev had said, I know there are others in this place that have lived through the depression, lived through every recession we've ever had. They kept on giving. They kept on loving. They kept on serving. We have people who have lived through personal death in their families, death of children, death of spouses, difficult situations, but they, they're still holding on. We have people that have lived through heartache and despair that would crush most people, but they're still holding on. They're ready. They're ready. And I know, Father, you're going to continue to pour yourself out on all of us as we follow you, ready, ready, ready for what we can be in you. We thank you for your renewal and your advancement in these last days. And we're going to praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen stand to our feet. You know, one of the early prayers that the early church fathers used to pray, it was called the arrow prayer. And they would repeat it over and over anytime they heard bad news. I mean the early church fathers as in the early, early church. They, anytime they heard anything, anytime they sinned, anytime they failed, they prayed the same prayer. Two words, have mercy. Have mercy. I think we got to pray that more and more in these last days. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy on that person. Have mercy on that sinner. Have mercy on me. Have, because I'm your sinner too. Have mercy on all of us. Have mercy, Jesus. And he will and he does. Hallelujah. Amen. Turn around. Bless somebody. Go forth ready. Ready for renewal. Ready for advancement in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.